In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. We've got a great show for you today. We have a very lovely individual, an integrative and psychedelic integration psychotherapist, modern, forward-thinking, open-hearted, Mrs. Joe Dice. How are you today? Hello. <laughs> lovely to see you, George. I'm good Thank today, you. and I'm aware it's quite early over your side, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's seven in the morning. I, I normally get up around five, get my kid ready for school, pack a lunch and all that kind of stuff. So I'm kind of an early riser. I've, I've found that kind of helps you prepare for your day and get everything set in motion right there. How about you? Are you an early riser? Do you know what? As I've got older, I have got more of an early riser. I think it is something uh, associated with getting older, isn't it? Um <laughs> So yeah, but it's we're at 5 p.m. over here. So yeah, I'm nice. still a bit sprightly. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that. That's a that's a good thing to be. It's usually a sign of a happy person is someone who usually wears a smile. And although sometimes some people they put a, they put a big mask on, right? Masks are kind of a big thing when it comes to different kinds of therapies. They certainly are. Yeah, we all have our masks, don't we? Mm. Our persona, I think Freud called it. <laughs> yeah yeah i always think of the world agreed mm -hmm. i always think of joseph campbell when i think of masks i think of mm -hmm. people and then myself too you know you, you happiness sadness or but as we're talking about masks and therapy maybe you can tell us a little bit about what started you on the journey that you're on like how does one become an integrative psychedelic integration psychotherapist mm. Now, that is, you know, <laughs> this is a long story. Okay. Perfect. I love them. And it, and it starts back in, in childhood, as most of our stories do. And, I mean, without going into the full details of my childhood, I've been through trauma in my life and I've had a difficult childhood. Um, and then in my adult life, I've experienced uh, loss, I lost my mum when I was 19 
And then when I was 30, I lost my first child very traumatically. And I was a nurse at that time. And it was that experience uh, which I, I had my own personal counselling and psychotherapy. And that made me start to think about counselling and therapy as a career which is, is often the case, I think, with therapists. It's the wounded healer thing uh, that you, you know, you have your own, you, your own traumas and after doing your own personal work, you want to use that experience to help others. And I think it often gives you a real depth of empathy and understanding from, from life experience. So that was the catalyst for me thinking about training to become a therapist and that took several years and that's a journey in itself really of um, personal exploration and change you change so much in the process of training so but my son's death was the catalyst for that and I've, I've found that with my experience of loss actually is that uh, I've lost my mum, my son and my dad. And each of those experiences really propelled me into a different uh, direction in my own life journey of healing. So that was what started the journey. And then that was quite a long process of training and doing my own personal work along the way. Uh, so, yeah. Does that answer your question? I could absolutely go into that question for like a full hour, but that's keeping it brief. I would say it's been my my own experiences of trauma and healing through therapy that has made me want to train and help others in this field. That's I'm sorry to hear about your son and your and your mom and the loss on one level. On another level, and I mean this in a as, as someone who has also lost a son, I, I mean this in a way that like I'm I'm thankful that it happened to you. There's a lot of people that if it did happen to them, they, it ruins their lives forever. And you know, I feel a kinship in that when we lose somebody we love, be it a son, a daughter, a mom, or a dad. In some ways, that can be the beginning of our new life. In some ways, that can be the greatest gift we've ever been given, which sounds so crazy. But when they die, part of you dies and something begins to grow back. And I'm wondering if part of you wanting to become or part of you going through these tragedies, like how, how did you integrate those tragedies? Like, how, what is that process like for you? Like, it's such a huge thing to happen. And so many people do find themselves in positions where they never make it back. Like, what were some of the things that you did in order to integrate yeah. that into your own soul? Mm. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, yeah, well, I just want to acknowledge I'm sorry for your loss as well. And what a synchronicity between us yeah. that we've both lost a son. We didn't know that. Um yeah. So how do you integrate that? I mean, my gosh, it's it's certainly not a linear uh, formula that you can you can explain to people. I think 
I left home when I was 15 and I was on my own since the age of 15 and that was part of my difficult childhood and but what that gave me was resilience and the ability to survive on my own and I do believe that your traumas can really become your superpowers so the sadness of it was that I had a lot of neglect and abandonment and that was painful but I learned to cope on my own and to survive on my own and I had a real sort of tenacity to uh, bounce back and I think that drive is is what has helped me to survive and, and not just get swamped and lost in grief and I also think I do sincerely believe that our loved ones want us to thrive again and and be happy like I I don't think they would want us to also sacrifice our our life and and I'm not meaning to take away from the pain of grief and uh, just how debilitating that can be to people who are suffering Um, but I, th- I think it, it was it was that drive to bounce back and to kind of make the most of of my life. Um, but this took years. It w- it wasn't quick. It, like my process of grief and processing loss and and looking back and saying, oh, actually, I I can see that that was a catalyst for great growth and healing in my life. It took years before I was able to look back and see that. And obviously you don't know, you know, when you start these, this process, you don't know where you're going to go. So I didn't know I was, I was going to end up here and who knows where I'll end up in another 10 years. (laughs) That's the thing. So, yeah. It's fascinating to me to hear and see and get to participate in the trauma that happens to all of us. And the more that I talk to people, the more that I, I've drawn this idea, and it's not necessarily my idea, but it's just something that I've found kind of floating out there in literature and different books and talking to people. And and it is that the reason, the purpose of traumatic experiences, regardless of what they are, is that there's some force, you know, call it God or Akua or Buddha or the spirit or the planet, whatever people want to label it. I believe that there's something out there that is shaping us and you must go through and it it believes in you it thinks that you are strong enough to have this horrible thing happen to you and then come through the other side and then turn around and help the next person up and when i was reading through your 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 site and your bio and stuff it seems to me that that's what you're doing like that was one of the reasons why i i reached out to you is like what made this person like become so enamored with helping people like you have this just laundry list of all these different things that you help people with it's pretty amazing and i'm like she has read a lot she has done a lot of studying to have all these different areas of of knowledge to to do that and then to put yourself out there and 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 allow people just to call on you like that that to me is it's beautiful and that's why i was just trying to get to the idea like that must is that one of the main spots it came from or what do you think about that idea of trauma or any of those questions that I kind of throw in there what do you think hmm yeah helping people I think I'd spent 20 years as a nurse 
prior to mm. becoming a therapist. So I think that kind of became um, part of my identity, really. Well, after my mum died, actually, when I was 19. Um, yeah, help helping others. Um, and then... There was quite a lot in there. Can you can you say yeah. another specific question? And I'll yeah. try and answer that. Yeah, let me let me kind of <laughs> let me let me just take it back one more step, and then I'll ask you. It seems to me there's a common thread that runs through different therapies, and part of it is influence, and the other part is therapy. How do you think those two things are related? How is influence and therapy related? <clears throat> I mean, everything's influenced, right? Yeah. Everything that we are exposed to is is influenced from our external world and our internal world. When we turn inwards and we're influenced by our body and the energy shifts in the body or any connection we have to our soul and our spirit, that's which a lot of us have never been taught to do because we're so stuck in our brains all the time. Um, and... And learning to turn inwards is something that I, I have been working on and that I feel really passionate about is learning to listen to your body and, and different things that come up from your unconscious mind, be that images or explorations of the soul and the spirit. So that's, that's an influence. Then you've got our external influence and that's everything that comes in and, and we have we have control over that, which a lot of us don't don't take control over. You know, if you spend your whole time reading the news and comparing yourself to others on social media, then you're going to you're going to feel afraid and inadequate. So this is the the control we can take over our external influence. Our relationships are they nurturing relationships? Are they people that make us feel bad about ourselves? Again, that's that's an influence. Relationships are important. Our relationship to ourselves, uh, and then you know, influence is—it's got to come back to our family and our roots and our story, and uh, our ancestors and what's passed down to us. Because that's that's what happens. It's the generational trauma and the ancestral stories that get passed down and passed down until someone starts looking at them. And another way of describing that may be epigenetics. There is a scientific mm. way of describing that. So those are some forms of influence. And then obviously what we read, we study, what we're passionate about. Um, and then how that, how that links, how does that link to, to therapy? <clears throat> so my, my instinct when I hear that is that therapy is about relationship ultimately I don't get really hung up on although I've read a lot about theory and I'm really interested in mental health and psychology it's it's really about the relationship between the therapist and client and and I think that's genuine human connection and I think that's where the wounds are healed the old wounds and it's about love you know, learning to love yourself and to experience love from your therapist as well so I think the influence of therapy really and there's a lot of different things that therapy does it's not just one thing 
But I think at the core, and research has proven this, the biggest predictor of success in therapy is the relationship. So the rapport between yourself and the therapist, the trust, and being able to share all your dark and difficult parts with your therapist over time and bring those shadowy parts out um, and to learn to learn to love yourself and to experience being loved. I like that. That was really well said, Joe. Thank you for that. I, you know, the word influence is such a monolith. Like it's so big and, you know, it's interesting to hear people tell me about it or, or what talk to other people what they've learned about it because there are these external influences and there are these internal influences. And the truth is we're being influenced all day long by each other and by billboards and television. It's really easy to lose who you are when you allow the external influences to tell you who you are. I think that people get lost in that stuff sometimes. And it kind of brings me, you, you, um, you posted a little bit about the ethical considerations with psychotherapy and psychedelics. And I think it kind of, you know, I wanted to lead up to that by using the word influence because you, everybody knows when we look back at history, whether it was Jonestown or, you know, maybe some people being taken advantage of in some, in some retreats or, you know, we always share these little whispers on the wind sometimes. And I was wondering, can you maybe expound or explore a little bit more of the idea of ethical considerations? Yeah. So I've, I've thought about the ethics of this work and, and often with ethics, uh, there is no black, black or white or, or, or right or wrong answer. Uh, there are different opinions. I think ultimately people are working on the underground with these substances. The underground society, the guides, it, it's not regulated and it can be very unsafe at times. There's... Um, The guides, the shamans are often doing a wonderful job, but they're just human beings and they're subject to the same foibles of human beings, of greed. Um, so there can be financial exploitation, sexual abuse of women, um, a kind of la lack of knowledge about medical conditions and physiology that can be dangerous. And so it casts a big, it casts a big shadow. I, I believe that which casts a big light often casts a, a big shadow. That's beautiful. I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> and I think that that can be playing out. And so uh, by pretending it doesn't exist and, and refusing to get involved, to support people with their experiences, we're putting them at risk of getting admitted to hospital, getting admitted to psychiatric institutions, having problems with their relationships, being heavily medicated, um, getting mental health diagnoses from people who don't understand the process. So the way I liken it to is it's like intravenous drug users and creating needle exchanges to give them um, clean needles to, to use their drug. It's about reducing risk. Anything that reduces the risk of harm is deemed a, 
can be deemed a success. And that's where I feel the, the services of psychedelic integration, psychotherapy have a place because it's, it's reducing uh, risk of physical and mental harm, hospital admissions, psychiatric admissions, relationship destruction, family destruction, um, to enable people to, to do this in the safest way possible with the before and after care, which is so essential and which is totally overlooked. And, and I think one of the problems with the psychedelic world is that people are perpetuating the medical mindset in that they're looking in, to go in it, into these experiences and getting a quick fix. And it's the same as when they go into their doctor and they wanna get a quick fix and pop a pill. And I think that's where it's going wrong is that you know the work is, is afterwards often and that can take a long time. And that's in your daily practices and your self-care and your integration and your, um, you know, how you integrate your experience and bring it into the world and make meaning of it. And how does it change your life on a day-to-day -day basis? And, and unfortunately, I think that's not getting enough uh, airtime and uh, sort of precedent in in this world is the integration process yeah that's really well said i'm glad you brought that up i there, there it's like the wild west right now there's so many things happening and there's so many different ideas and some of them are really good some of them eh, some of them maybe not so good but it does allow for some freedom and it does allow for people who are potentially able to come up with great ideas. It allows them a spot on the field for now. And that being said, I'm, I'm wondering, do you have a system, like when we look at microdosing, there's the Stamens protocols, the Fademan protocol. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know a lot of different individuals who have developed like a personal technique where, okay, I'm going to take a large dose on, on, on day X and then Usually it's about a month integration or some people will, will microdose for a week. And then on the third week, they'll take a, a larger dose. Is there a certain set of parameters that you have found to be that works pretty well with people? Or is there a certain set of parameters that you follow or is there a parameters for different types of disorders? Or what, what do you think about these different potentials? So firstly, I don't administer psychedelics. Um, right. I can't recommend anyone where to go or right. what to take or, or doses. Um, it's illegal and that's not, um, that's not my role. Um, so I certainly am not able to recommend or prescribe or point people in the direction of what and how to take. Right. My approach to the integration process is, is my approach to everything in psychotherapy really, is that everyone's individual and um, it's much more complex than, you know, I've, I've got this disorder, mm. therefore it's gonna take four weeks. Mm. Like th this disorder is just the tip of an iceberg, you know? Underneath there mm. is all of the generational trauma, that time I was bullied in school, or, you know, the, the my experience of neglect of my parents, my experience of sexual assault, these decisions that I made that I can't feel, these decisions that I made that I'm I'm not important, 
And so people often come with, I've got this disorder and I, I you know, and I, and I want, I want to know what the prescription is to fix that. Mm. But it, it's all the other stuff is, is the unconscious stuff. And it's, it's like layers of an onion, you know, you put, you peel one layer off and you think, you think this is what you're coming into therapy for. And then underneath is a whole different layer that you didn't know was there. And so you really don't know what you don't know. And so uh, I think it's, Im it's impossible and not useful to be prescriptive. Right. People are so much more complex than just one disorder. And I think this is where, where we're going wrong. Like we're all completely complex individuals and we just have this real reductionist mindset that we reduce people down. I don't even like the word disorder. Um, so, yeah, so I don't have a formula. I, I meet the person in all of their complexity and beautiful uniqueness. And they can bring whatever they want to bring to therapy. You know, every everything is welcome. But I do understand that people have limits on their uh, time, resources and money sometimes. And of course, I will, you know, factor, factor that in. And if they want to work uh, on a specific issue and in a specific way, I will meet them with, with what, what they need from me. So I don't force people to go where they don't want to go. But um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it opens up so many more. I love it. I love it every second of it. It brings me. I want to. I want to. Would you like the word disorder if we use it in a different context? So if I, if I use the word disorder as a label, like there's something wrong with you, that's kind of problematic. But if I use the word disorder in that, in what it like, it's disordered. Like the way in which we live our life is disorder. Like it's not. It's chaos in so many ways. Would you would you like the word better if it was like it, it almost seems like it fits if we use it like that instead of as a label like you have a disorder instead of yeah. like listen it's all disordered over here we gotta we gotta put this stuff in order and then it'll be better. <laughs> well, okay, so I'm I'm a bit of a Carl Jung fanatic, and when oh, I hear enough. the word disorder, and it's interesting you use the word chaos as well, <laughs> I I automatically go to a Carl Jung quote, and it is this. In all chaos, there is a cosmos. In all disorder, a secret order. <laughs> yeah. So the message is there of there is, you know, this what you call disorder probably actually makes a lot of sense as a reaction to what that person in the environment. So you, I just think don't discount the value of chaos sometimes and disorder it's you know we've become very yeah. sort of normal we want everything to be normal and what normal often means is fit in a certain box one one person's idea of perfection and often that idea of perfection is actually very patriarchal it's you know from the white male middle class middle-aged professor of psychology and so i yeah. Yeah. It yeah. it seems to me that you know there I heard a, I, I was talking to a uh, a young woman the other day and I I'm a big fan of Carl Jung too and and she had said something that I thought was fascinating and this was just her journey. She was talking about 
she she had undergone some severe childhood trauma and you know she was trying to work through some problems and come to terms with who she was and what was going on in her life and she had prepared herself to take some psychedelic medicine or some entheogens and she was preparing thinking about you know what okay I, i'm gonna go into the underworld and you know there's I have to do some shadow work and after taking the medicine the message became clear to her like what are you talking about dragons what are you talking about facing demons and shadow you love that place you live there you employ all those people you know what you have a problem with is joy what you have a problem with is the light and i it's it's interesting how we can get caught up in the ideas of others and find ourselves off in the shadow realm or off in this world of of problems that we think we have in some mm -hmm. ways, that's that's a strategy to not solve the actual problems that we have. It's it's interesting. It seems to me psychedelics help you confront or at least begin to show you what can be true. Instead of a Western style medicine, there's more of a coping strategy. It's like take this pill and you're okay, or take this stuff and you probably still feel not that good, but you can go do your day. Yeah. Where the psychedelic medicine is like here it is. Take a take a good look. What what do you yeah. think about those two styles? Hmm. I'm not quite sure I understand the question. <laughs> there might not have been one in there. There may not have been one in there. <laughs> Can I just freestyle a little bit in response yeah, to what please. you said? Okay, so. So one, one response to that is, you know, what I heard was something about people just having completely different experiences with psychedelics. They go in with one thing and they come out with something completely different that they didn't think was what they wanted to work, what, what they needed to work on. And that's, that's the beauty and the power of the unconscious mind. So, you know, you don't know what you don't know and, and the medicine that you're working with to a certain extent, some people believe there is a spirit of the medicine that comes forth. Um, and what I like and value about that is variety and vitality of human experience. And really embracing that in the world is that we're all on different paths. There's no right or wrong. Like all of our roles and personalities and ways of being in the world and paths, life paths, I believe are different. And, and what a beautiful world that could be if we embraced variety, diversity, um, you know, choice rather than this is the right way to be. And I do believe to a certain extent that world is emerging now. Um, so yeah, wonderful. Some, you know, someone goes, goes in and works with psychedelics and, and comes up with something completely different than what they thought. So I'm all for that, individuals finding their own life path and making their own decisions about who they are, what they believe, what their values are, how they want their relationships to play out, what their personality is, based on them rather than others. Yeah. And then the other side of that, I think you described the shadow part as um, being bad or something like that, or difficult, painful. And my response to that was, you, you know, I believe our shadowy parts have a lot to teach us. 
and learning to accept our dark parts as part of our humanity, I think is something that will create great healing in the world and in us as individuals. So I don't see our shadowy parts as being bad necessarily. So I don't link shadow automatically with it's bad. And I think perhaps learning, learning to accept and, and be in those parts can facilitate great healing. And I believe that psychedelics are a really powerful way of doing that very viscerally of getting into contact with those parts. And I remember reading one of Stanislav Grof's book and he spoke about a woman um, who was suffering with addiction, who was really in contact with like a demonic type entity. And he said he felt he was sat with a very dark force and he meditated on light. And when she, she made contact with, with that really dark and evil demonic part of her, she had suffered from abuse. After that experience, she healed and overcame addiction. And so, yeah, I would say don't, don't discount the shadowy parts. Yeah. What do you think, like, do you think that when we talk about maybe some of the shadow parts or some of the dark parts of our soul or however mm -hmm. we want to describe it, do you, is there a common place? Is that repressed pain or is that something that we don't want to talk about? Or is that something we're ashamed of? Or are those good ways to describe what the shadow can be? Yeah, I think there are those parts of us that we find unacceptable. Mm. Uh, so often they're the voices that you hear in your head, but you don't say out loud. You know, the mean parts, the rage. And that's one part of your shadow, but then I think it goes, it goes deeper into sort of your ancestral uh, traumas. I definitely that think that sits in, in our shadow and also the collective unconscious, which is, you know, the archetypes and stories of all of humanity and light and dark forces show up throughout all of our human experience and evolution um, all of the myths all of the archetypes yeah. all of the religions they have the light and the dark so to some extent that shadow is in us too um, and i think when people have been through abuse um, and have been victims of abuse, often that, that darkness of the abuse is, is, is somehow internalized in them and can be expressed because people often know that they, um, it is not okay to project that onto others. It can be inter internalized as anxiety, as depression or as, as addiction the kind of remnants of the abuse that they've have been subjected to. And that's, that's like a part of the shadow as well, I believe. Yeah, that, that makes me, that brings up the question of, at least to me, of like generational habits or generational cycles, because it seems that a lot of the parts that get repressed are, like let's say abuse, like a let's say like a little boy gets abused. The 
the guy that abused him was abused. And it seems like that was something that was pushed down. And then all of a sudden, here's this little kid that's that's weak and right there and probably around the same age that happened to him. And then that person acts out. And it's almost like contagious in a weird sort of way. Like it's passed on almost like a weird ritual in a way. And maybe coming, maybe that's how the cycles are broken is becoming aware of, oh my gosh, I feel this weird imprint thing on me. Like maybe that's, can you speak to the idea of generational trauma and that particular cycle that happens that way? I think so much of, of the, the mental and to a certain extent, physical health that people experience is, is the result of generational trauma. Mm. I think it's at the root of, of, of so much. I think the second world war has got a lot to answer for <laughs> in terms of what a lot of us are um, dealing with mentally, you know, the way people fought in the second world war, um, it was not the way us as human beings were designed to fight. And, uh, you know, then, uh, for example, the soldiers, um, I, I know my grandfather was a pilot, a Spitfire pilot, and they, they go home and they're not, they weren't given the, the support and they were told to keep calm and carry on. And then they take their trauma out on their families and then it just gets passed down and passed down until someone stops and does their deep inner transformational work. And that's hard. The, the shadow work is hard. And this is why people often don't do it and don't want to do it. You know, positive affirmations, yeah. gratitude journaling, <laughs> that all feels great. Right. You know, looking in the mirror saying how great you are. And I'm not saying that doesn't have a place, it does. But I think the real powerful healing is, is going is, is finding a way to get to those really dark and gnarly parts. And I've heard um, the term before, a, a hot potato in terms of generational trauma. It's like a hot potato that gets passed down. The potato is too hot, so you throw it down. And, on, and often a, a child will carry the traumas of their family, the parents, project it onto them. And they can either project it onto them in an abu abusive way or in a smothering way mm -hmm. um, but uh, but often you will find that the child is is carrying the the traumas of their parents as their parents carried the traumas of their parents and so i think general generational trauma is is so um at the core and the root cause of much of what we are experiencing and what I think is really powerful about psychedelics and particularly in the indigenous way of working is that, that, that much of the, the focus or the spiritual philosophy of the work is that you're working with your ancestors. And I think that is, is, is powerful for the generational trauma aspect. I like that. I, that's well said. I here in Hawaii, there's a quote that says we're all ancestors in training. And it's yeah. a good way to to think about your life on a generational level or think about your um life in ways that you may not ordinarily think about it. Which brings up a question 
to psychedelics that I wanted to pose to you. And it's this idea of so often in the world we live in, especially in the English language, we're subjected to the subject object relationship. Mm -hmm. And depending on what side you're on, you know, it, it can be interesting. It can also be abusive and it, it's somewhat dehumanizing to be a subject or an object. I'm a person. I'm neither of those things, even though I'm both of those things. And I think on psychedelics, what it does sometimes, at least in my experience, is that it provides you with not only the, the idea of the subject and object, but also the idea of the observer. In some ways, there's this weird thing that happens where you're able to observe yourself from almost a third person perspective. I'm wondering if you have noticed that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to kind of just yeah, make some absolutely. sense. So, so something about being like almost like a, a outside of outside of your process. Yeah. Okay. So my response to this is, I, I heard it once. Uh, I went to a Buddhist. I used to go to a Buddhist meditation, and okay. so they said something to me once. They said. What, what if our dream world was the real world and this was just a construct and this was a dream? Like, just because this is more complex and coherent doesn't mean it makes it more real. True. And it blew my mind a little bit. And I try and stay away from sort of right or wrong thinking, but I, it just gave me a bit of a curiosity, really, that that this could all potentially be just a construct. They said in the, the Buddhist uh, meditation, you know, that the second you look away, everything could disappear. You could just be a construct of my imagination, George, <laughs> and only be visible when I'm looking at you. And so, and so that, that was quite interesting. So, so when you look at it at this way, I, I've heard said, said before, um, I've forgotten the guy's name. Is it Almas? He's a famous sort of, um, philosopher I might have got that wrong but reality is just a construct our personalities are just a construct to survive the world and so this what we see the way we make sense of and understand reality is not necessarily real Right. Does that make sense? Is that a it bit does. profound? So when you when you walk down the street and you and you see different people and you see people reacting in a certain way, very angry or um, overreacting, their construct, the way they look at the world, is completely different. And one of the key things that that I learned and realised about life is that. All of our lenses through which we see the world are completely different. And one of the biggest mistakes we can make is to think that everyone sees the same as us. It's all built up of all of our life experience, our epigenetics, um, our temperament. And so relating this back to what you were saying, which I forgot what it was, something about object and subject and... And the observer. Oh, so, so, so having an observing yeah. others. Yeah. Right. So so I think with a psychedelic experience, and I have had an experience of working with psychedelics myself, that's been really powerful, transformative, and healing in my life. It can take you to a completely different stratosphere of experience. 
that is nothing like the way you normally see the yeah. world. And that can give you just a real curiosity about, you know, this rigid, coherent, it's not the only way of seeing and experiencing. Yeah, there can be a whole different sort of lens through which we can experience the world, which is not necessarily any less real or valid. It's just very different. And, and one metaphor I like for this is I, I always like the the idea of water, vast bodies of water and the sea. And Freud's often spoken about vast bodies of water as the unconscious mind. And I remember the first time I went snorkeling and it was over a beautiful coral reef. And I remember looking under the sea for the first time and seeing these fishes and the corals. And I, I remember thinking, this is like a different planet. I feel like I'm on Mars. This is not like the Earth. And then looking up and I was back on planet Earth again. And I, I liken that a little bit to sort of a psychedelic or, or a non-ordinary state of consciousness experience is that what you see can look really, really different from anything that you've ever seen before. But it doesn't mean it's not real or it's not there. It's just very different. I like that, Joe. That's really well put. And I think that I think. If people can begin to see these big ideas, whether it's snorkeling and seeing one world and then yeah. popping your head up and being in the other world, or whether it is, you know, um, being in the dream world and then coming out into the regular world, or whether it's under a psychedelic experience, I think that that is, if you can learn to do that on a conscious level, then you can pop yourself in and out of situations that may be detrimental to you. You could be going down this road of anger and being like, I can't believe, you know what always happens to me? You know what this guy always does to me? She always does. And then just pop your head out of the water and be like, wait a minute, what kind of yeah. story am I telling myself here? I'm, I'm the one telling the story. And that was the idea behind the subject, object, and observer. Like if you can find yourself and be not only find yourself in that spot, but become comfortable in that spot and then learn to be all three of those people, you can really begin to learn that life is a story and life is the story you tell yourself. And if you want to live a better life, start telling a better story. And it's, it can, it's, I know it's going to sound probably crazy, but it's kind of easy once you figure it out. It may not always work, but you can always tell yourself a story. You can be, you can be whatever you want to be. And if you think back to the way we spoke to our children, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? We're providing them with these, all these opportunities to tell a cool story. And it seems like, especially when you become an adult, maybe you have bumped up against some unrealized dreams. All of a sudden, like this callus sets in and we stop imagining, we stop thinking, we stop telling ourselves stories that are positive. We stop telling ourselves what we can be and start deciding what someone else wants us to be. And I think that there's so much trauma in there, at least there was for me. And I, I, I'm so happy that you brought that up because I, I really want people to be able to do that. And I think so many people can benefit from it. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing to think about whether it's going to a, you know, learning the Buddhist way or, or just learning to be a better person there. The, this idea of narratives is a very important one. Don't you think? Yeah. 
Totally. The narrative, the stories we, we tell ourselves, and, and I think sometimes from my experience of, of working with psychedelics and breath work, I have had a narrative in, in my head, my life. For example, I, I once had a narrative that all of my relationships were bad. And from, from working with psychedelics and breathwork, I would re, rewrite that narrative. I would, I would bask in a different experience and, and connect with something different and connect with the love and the goods. And so I think you can, it's like you can take the same story and tell it in a different way. And I really like the, the fact that you've brought up um, stories actually, because I think therapy is often about stories and I think stories can be medicine. Mm. And I think there's something really powerful in stories. And I think within this world and the work that we do, we need more stories. We need, I think research is really valid, but I think people need to be moved emotionally with stories. I couldn't agree anymore. And I think there's been a lack of stories and with a lack of stories comes lack of rituals and with lack of rituals comes lack of rites of passage. And if we look back to Joseph Campbell or, you know, anybody, you know, Whitehead or anybody on that tree of philosophy, we were really big into stories. We're really big into rituals and shared sacrifice. And in today's world of materialism, it's everybody's the same. Everybody should buy this one green. You can have, you can have any flavor of bagel you want, as long as it's blueberry or strawberry. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's just yeah. like these false choices everywhere. And mm -hmm. I, you can see it. I think that that is something that constricts people so much. It's like, they're, I don't want to do this, but I don't have any choice. But you do, you do have choice. It's really, really hard to make that choice because it's scary. If you want to be who you, if you want to be someone you love, you want I heard a good quote that was, if you want to lead the orchestra, you got to turn your back on the crowd. You have to be willing to let people laugh at you and yep. people will laugh at you and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're funny. Maybe they're laughing at you. Maybe they're laughing with you, but it happens. And, and once you just get over that and you go, well, maybe I'm funny looking or maybe I have a funny joke. Like once mm -hmm. you begin to, 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 to feel that, I, I think it opens up a lot of doors for you to become who you want to be. What is your take on the lack of rituals or the lack of rites of passage in today's society? It's a massive void. It really is. Um, I think as we've, as we've lost our connection with religion mm -hmm. and there's a lot that's gone, yeah. gone wrong with, with religion. And I think it, it's part of our, flawed humanity is that we want to prove we get polarized and it becomes about my way's right your way's wrong and this is played out in religion you know my religion's right your religion's wrong everything's got to be exact uh, and we lose our ability to hold com complexity or to see the metaphor in religion But as we've lost our connection with religion, we, we have lost our connection with the ceremony and the ritual. Mm. 
that is that is is so powerful for again it's getting out of the logical mind it's getting into something else it's being in connection with us with others it's the power that can happen in that in between space it's the power of music it's the power of drums it's the power of intentions the ceremonial rites of passage um it's it's been observed that um, I think Groff wrote about how many gangs, as part of their initiation process, gang members are required to go out and, and kill someone. And uh, Groff mentions how similar that is to the initiation process within tribal communities, a coming of age ceremony. And so when we don't find a safe and conscious way to express um, coming of age rites of passage with ceremony, they will, they will play out unconsciously in a dangerous way and people will, will get hurt. And, you know, one, one idea is that, that that is why these young men are going out and doing this in the gangs is that there's no conscious way for them to um, kind of express this need, this, this growing up, this change. Death is another one. We have such an issue with, with death. We avoid it, we ignore it. We don't wash our deads, we don't spend time with our deads. They get carted away and, and the nurses mm. do the wash, which is such a significant ceremony um, that period when someone dies is so poignant. And I, I think these, you know, these are all parts of um, the processes of uh, grief and change and transition in our lives, which are really hindering our ability to process and, and, and move through and grieve and grow. And... As, as religion has gone, unfortunately, the ceremony and the ritual is also kind of gone. But within this world mm. and within the holistic communities it's, it, and the spiritual communities, it, it seems that people are starting to connect back in with this need, with, with this basic human need. Wow, that's there's some painful stuff in there to think about, and it's it's painful because it's true. This disconnection we have with the people that die, what happens to their bodies? Where do they go? Where do they take them? What do they do? You know, it's it, it's a it saddens me to think about that connection is just severed and then supposed to be forgotten, and and when and in a weird way, it's society telling it's maybe that's society's fear of death but yeah i yeah. It, it's it's tough it's really tough to think about i um mm -hmm. i'm curious as it seems there's almost a stigma against ceremonies you know when we look at things happening you know people begin building something up and then all of a sudden these people are a cult and rightfully so sometimes mm. but in some ways it's this stigma 
that is standing in the way of everybody coming together. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, this church, like you said, this church is this, or this church is good, but they're not as good as this church. But it seems like as soon as a ceremony or something begins to become building up, there's all of a sudden spears around it to burst that bubble. Is, is there a stigma against ceremonies, do you think? I think... Many people in society have a negative idea um, around spirituality and can often jump to the dark things that have happened in religion. Um, for, For example, you know, child abuse, uh, within the Catholic Church, and so I think there's there's often a leap, um, and obviously the wars that have been um, over religion, and so I think many people leap and and they hear spirituality and and they leap to that because there is a darkness in in the that world, but there's darkness everywhere. And, you know, this, this is the reality of being a human being. And so it's a shame because I think many positive aspects of, of spirituality and ceremony is often associated with spirituality um, are therefore discounted and not, are not given uh, credit and airspace. And, and often I... You know, I, I I just think it's getting out. Like I've said it several times, but it's just getting out of logic. Like we like we do, we all live too much in our heads. We're in our heads all the time. And with ceremony, you you get out of your head. You get into something else. And if you if you get away from the the kind of dogmatic religious beliefs and, and you just stick with that, there's there's tremendous value in in that. And experiencing the world in a different way that's not thinking. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the obvious ones are, I suppose, that are still around are marriage. But even that's fading, isn't it? But um, funerals, COVID times, we didn't, we didn't even have those. I mean, the COVID times when people died... It's really tragic the way that people died on their own and weren't commemorated with a funeral. But you look at the way some cultures uh, treat their dead and celebrate their dead and you look at Mexico and the Day of the Dead and, Mm -hmm. you know, the way death is really acknowledged and celebrated and the way people spend time with their dead and wash their dead and... I, I think that f- helps to facilitate grief and also remain in, in connection with your lost loved ones, um, which is quite important for grief. They speak nowadays about continuing bonds, so continuing a relationship with, with the one that you've lost in, in whatever way that is. 
Yeah. So, yeah. It seems in my lifetime, and maybe this happens to everybody in their lifetime. Maybe this is just a thing that happens to you as you get older, but it, it seems in a lot of ways we've taken the dignity out of dying and we've found a way to keep people alive, not so much because the person wants to continue to be alive, but because everybody else around them doesn't want them to die. It's their, it's like their fear of death. And so, you know, a, a lot of the times you'll see the, the nuclear family where, you know, the kids go to school, parents go to work, and then the grandparents get carted off to like an old folks home and just this whole idea of a family as an institution is becoming sort of, you know, apart and, 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 and pulled apart. And mm. I'm, I'm hopeful that what we're seeing now, while tragic in a lot of ways, I'm excited for the future because I think we are beginning to see a new beginning in a way. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and it's exciting to me because I think that we do have a real opportunity much like psychedelics helps us confront the idea of what's happening. I think we are in a position right now where we are going to need to start confronting some pretty big things that are happening in the world. And with confrontation comes opportunity. I'm wondering how, how do you feel about the future moving forward? Mm, the future of the world. The, well, let's start off. We can get there, but let's start off with the future <laughs> of medicine, like the future of therapy. Do you think that maybe what's happening with the idea of medicine, maybe in theogens mm. and psychedelic medicine is playing a part but mm -hmm. maybe starting some sort of new ideas about confrontation instead of coping. Confrontation instead of coping. Hmm. I th well, I think they both have a place, confrontation and coping. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. I think perhaps uh, more the idea is, you know, the medical model is we get, we get caught up with fighting fires and symptom management. Yes rather yes. than uh, getting to the root cause well put. Um, and the very superficial level stuff, you know, symptoms and disorders and we, we are in the brain. So, I mean, what's happening in the psychedelic world from, from what I'm seeing is really exciting at the moment. Um, and I feel really hopeful for where we're going, we're going to go with this work, which is very different um, to the kind of traditional way of working with pharmaceuticals or, I don't know, it just seems much more powerful um, at tackling the deep stuff. Obviously it does, it, it still comes with its risks and I think it's I think it's quite interesting that it's I'll describe it at its roots it is quite sort of matriarchal qualities of the feminine spirituality creativity the shaman in contact with the spirit world the ancestors uh, the indigenous way of working with psychedelics I'll describe as quite a matriarchal one where the qualities of the feminine are valued And yet it seems as it's hitting the mainstream, it's it's getting um, the patriarchal ways are are coming in and it's it's losing um 
those values and sort of logic, money, uh, greed um, are, are taking over. So I'm not sure how that, that's going to go. Um, and it just does feel quite sad, actually, that that, that is what, what's happening to this work. But it may be that, that that's for this to meet, to meet the masses and to be recognized and to help people heal, that, that that's like we need to, to play the corporate game and, and fit into the world. I don't know, you know. Um, so I think your question was around something about the world changing. I think the world is changing. I, I think the world is changing at the moment. Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I like the idea of the psychedelics. I like what you said about how it seems to have a like a, a feminine structure to it. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe maybe in some ways we're seeing the integration of the the feminine structure and the overreaching patriarchal structure like kind of coming into balance with each other because mm. you know, I've spoken to lots of people and it seems it seems there's a place for for everyone like there is some avenues for the big pharmaceutical companies to come in and and maybe add a hydrogen molecule and patent that thing over there or me, there's the there's room for the biohacker, the guy that wants to like, I'm going to figure out neuroplasticity and I'm going to figure mm -hmm. out all this stuff. And then there's plenty of room for people that have childhood trauma. And then there's even room for the, the people that maybe maybe the truck driver who counsels people every day at work. Maybe there's room for that guy to start working with people. And, you know, maybe there's this opening up of the of the the institution like, all right, hey we can't do it alone. We need all you guys to come in here. You know, maybe that's kind of what's happened. And then when I look at it from that angle, it yeah. really makes me smile. And it really makes me happy because I, I do think there's so many good people out there with ideas that like, I've never even begun to think of. And you're like, Whoa, I never mm -hmm. thought about it like that. And Hey, that's mm. going to lead to this. And that's going to lead to this over here. And I, when, when I talk about the world changing, I see psychedelics as sort of a, a, uh, fractal part of the bigger world like it's and and part of what i'm talking to you about and this is, blows my mind is we we began our conversation on the idea of integration and it mm. seems to me like that's what that's why i'm excited for the world right now like although there's there's conflict points it seems we're becoming more integrated in a way where we're beginning to see each other as each other does that kind yeah. of make sense what do you think about that yeah, I totally hear you on that. And I, I like what you, I really like the work that what you say about, you know, different people. And, and I'm with you. Like, I'm totally up for the nuanced and different ways of working. And ultimately, everyone's different. You know, someone may be a really strong atheist and really not have any spiritual beliefs. And, and who are we to tell them what to believe? <laughs> Who is anyone to tell them that they, they, yeah. they've got to believe in, in spirits and their ancestors? So for them, going and, and you know, potentially working with psychedelics in, in a, a more medical way is, is going to be the right um, system for them. And that's absolutely valid. And, and you know, 
yes, I, I'm, I'm passionate about, you know, my way is not, my beliefs are not the right beliefs and my way is not the right way. It's just my way. And, you know, you come up with your way, you come up with your beliefs and you, you find what works for you. And yes, I think that's great. You know, let's just <laughs> embrace, embrace it all with, you know, allow, allow an individual to find their spot based on their own beliefs and what works for them. And that might, that might change. People change. Absolutely. Yeah. Joe, as I was, I was reading through some of your website and I came across this idea of transpersonal psychology. I, I don't know what that mm -hmm. is. Can you, can you explain that to me and my audience? What is transpersonal psychology? Transpersonal. So, I mean, I think it em embraces uh, Stanislav Gross. Have you heard of Stanislav Gross? Uh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So he was one of the proponents of, of transpersonal and I think it, it really embraces a lot of what we've been, what I've been speaking about today is our relationships with the spiritual world, our relationships, our, our ideas of past lives, religious deities, the collective unconscious, um, the archetypes, different experiences of consciousness. You know, some people may experience being an inanimate object or an animal, or we experience their birth, um, tree working with, with psychedelics or breath work or, um, meditation or altered consciousness states and I think it's being open-minded to these spiritual experiences um, and what they can give people and, and how they can help people heal and I think sometimes traditional um, psychology or medicine might describe someone as having psychosis so for example in the west if someone was seeing spirits or describing their past lives they may be diagnosed as having psychosis but from the transpersonal point of view this can be described as a, a spiritual emergence um, an important stage in spiritual awakening and personality change. So it's really valuing these spiritual experiences and what they can give people in their lives and their identity um, and how they can really help people mentally and find meaning in their lives and help them grieve um, and, and help them find their place in the, the larger stratosphere of existence. So it's really embracing and, and making space and, and welcoming these conversations around these subject matters. Um, yeah.
it's it's beautiful to me. And as you're explaining that, it it makes me makes me think of a couple of things. One is, you know, it's not uncommon for people to have auditory illusions or people to see things or mm -hmm. think that they see things. But we label these people as crazy. And you know, when we start labeling things, especially it's one thing if I label somebody, but when a group or a society or a tribe begins to label someone as crazy, mm -hmm. a person really begins to lose a lot of opportunities where, wherever they're at. And yeah, you know, it, it doesn't crazy is such a weird word anyway. Like it, it doesn't really mean anything. But you know, sometimes my best insights have been like an auditory illusion or or an, an insight that if I told people about it, they'd be like, you're a wacko, you know, but mm -hmm. some of those are the, some of those are the best insights. And it would, it seems to me that on some level, if we could just begin to be okay with those types of things, we would relieve so much stress and pressure on ourselves and the people around us. Have you found that to be true? Yeah, absolutely. Um, personally, um, as well, you know, like in, in my own breathwork experience, I often have visions, um, pow powerful visions. Um, I feel in contact with my own lost loved ones. But ultimately, they give, they give me something positive. Um, they often give me perspective of my problems, you know, that, that I've, I've had visions that I've been floating out in the universe and I've come across the, the site of planet Earth when I've been doing breathwork. And it has been absolutely awe-inspiring. It's taken my breath away. And it stayed with me. And what it, it gives me as perspective is that I, when I'm worrying about the small things or someone who's annoying me in the car, you know, it, it really gives me perspective on my problems. And, and my when I feel in contact with my lost loved ones, I feel a connection with them still. Um, it helps me with my decision-making process. So the question you have to ask yourself is, are these experiences adding value and meaning and, and positive direction in your life? And if they are, then why are we demonizing them and saying they're wrong and bad and crazy? Um, I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> so for there's a lot of people like, a lot of people that listen to this may be aware that there are different psychedelics one can take, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of other ways to reach psychedelic states without taking any medicine. Can you tell some people about those? Yes, I'm so glad you asked that because I'm absolutely passionate about, about yeah. um, the other ways of, of, of um, evoking a psychedelic experience. Um, breath work, so powerful. Um, holotropic breath work. So you can find a holotropic breathwork practitioner and um, holotropic breathwork is, is quite a simple process of breathing. It's not complicated and the practitioner will teach you through how to do uh, the breathing. And it's just basically breathing in and out without pause in between. And there's a, a powerful emotionally evocative musical playlist. So music is so relevant within these experiences. And I have heard before said, music is the nearest thing we have on this earth to God. Mm -hmm. And and that really resonates with me. Music's been a real um, powerful influence in my life and can really get you in contact with some powerful emotions and some powerful experiences. And so the music is very key. 
And as you do the breath work, you can actually release DMT, which is the active ingredient of ayahuasca. So your own DMT in your brain. So you can have powerful psychedelic type experiences. People can relive their own birth or have images of past lives or ancestors or being out in the universe or having a different experience of consciousness. And the beauty of holotropic breathwork is that you can come out at any point and it's drug-free and substance-free. So it's a really good, great place to start. Meditation as well. If you develop um, a meditation practice, I do a Kundalini meditation every day. It's an hour-long meditation. And over time, I've been doing it for years now, I, I go into quite some quite deep states where I can have psychedelic type experiences from the meditation. Vipassana meditation retreats are supposed to be very powerful. I haven't been on one myself, but I've heard they can be just as powerful, if not more than taking a psychedelic substance. And then what is often not spoken about much is tantra and sexual intimacy with your partner. So tantra, using touch, eye gazing, if you stare into someone's eyes for 20 minutes, you will probably start hallucinating slightly. So these are ways that, that you can evoke non-ordinary states of consciousness that are substance-free and the sexual intimacy with your partner is a really beautiful way to connect. So I, I, would, I would definitely invite people to read up and, and explore a bit about Tantra uh, as a way of, of working with a different state of consciousness as well. Yeah, that's important. I think especially today in a world that's just like littered with porn, it's like the opposite. Instead of having like a long, meaningful relationship – yeah, people are locking themselves in their bathrooms, and you know what I mean. Yes. It's 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 kind of it's sad in so many ways, and I yeah. think that I don't know. I I, have, I think that it's I don't know. I think that it's probably being done for specific reasons, but that's probably neither here nor there. I think people should try to reconnect and have the most loving, sensual, sexual relationship possible. What do you, is that? What do you, what's your take on that? Absolutely. And I think we're, we're very sexually repressed as a culture. We don't talk about it. We think it's naughty, taboo. You know, it's, um, it's a subject that, that we don't speak about in, out in the open. So we're kind of going off secretly watching our porn, you know, and, in an, and it's become quite seedy. Um, mm. But the Tantra philosophy is... And it's more of a natural um, exploration of sexuality, sensuality, touch, eye gazing, connecting, heart level connection. Do it you can think be it's really a... rich and beautiful to yeah. explore with yourself yeah. or with your partner? So, you know, you can learn to do this with yourself. You don't need a partner. Yeah. Do you think that there's a connection between? Remember back in the 60s, they had there was like a, a sort of a heightened wave of psychedelics that happened around that time. 
fifties going into the sixties. And then there was this outbreak of free love. Do you think that those two things were related? Absolutely. Don't you, <laughs> don't, don't, don't you think it's, you know, psychedelics are a, a really powerful aphrodisiac and True. It's, it's, it's often not spoken about as much is enough. I don't think is the powerful life force of sexual vitality and how we can work with that. Um, and so you can work, so psychedelics evoke often strong feelings of sexuality within people. Um, but then the flip of that is sexuality and sensuality and intimacy of your partner can evoke strong experiences of different states of consciousness. Does that make sense? So psychedelics, so psychedelics can make you very sexually aroused, mm -hmm. but explorations of sex, touch and intimacy with, with your partner without psychedelics can evoke a non-ordinary state of consciousness. So often people during sex will have said that they feel in, in connection with something bigger, with, with their spirituality, that sex is a spiritual experience, or they feel different, you know, they feel different than they normally do. And so that's another powerful way of working with expansive consciousness through sex, touch and intimacy and sensuality. Yeah, it's it's almost like a whole body psychedelic experience where sometimes with just, you know, if you ingest something, you get into this different, total different state of consciousness, but a lot of it's cerebral, especially yeah. if you're alone or something like that. So it's, mm -hmm. I heard someone explain recently the idea of relationships as containers. And if you think about that model as a relationship as a container, and you mm -hmm. pour some psychedelics into that container, it's, mm -hmm. it seems like it, it can be an incredibly beautiful experience. But, to experience as, as yes. a couple yeah, yeah. Or, or, or a partnership yeah so potentially you could have a beautiful sexual experience with psychedelics yeah potentially yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome to me i yeah yeah i like it i um i guess i was thinking i, I had another question that i kind of wanted to run by what do you think is you know a lot of the times when we talk about therapy we're doing a lot of learning in there. And maybe when you learned a lot about the thing in which you're trying to integrate, then you can begin to integrate it. What is there a relationship between learning and healing or, or can you use them almost synonymously? Or when I say to you learning and mm -hmm. healing, what, what, what's the relationship there? I would say learning is just, just one element of healing mm. and it's given, uh, It's perhaps given too much uh, precedence, but it is valid. The narrative making, the understanding, making sense of your story. Why am I like this? What happened? Um, you know, is is a valid part of therapy, but it's not the only part of therapy. You know, it's as I've spoken about. It's the relational stuff between you and your therapist. You can work in that relationship. It's it's what's happening between you and I, like what's happening in the middle. Who do I represent to you? 
how can I respond differently to perhaps your parents to give you a different experience to heal old wounds mm -hmm. so that's like the relational work and then of course you've got the somatic work you know when you get into your body and that's nothing about learning and um, that's that's something different and so yeah learning it learning is definitely one part and it's a really valid part but it's not the only part but then saying that some people are really big thinkers and that's that's just how they are and they show up in the world and so i think it's really important to meet meet someone with with where they're at so if someone's really logical and they like to think you know i'm not going to come in and say right you've got to get into your body because it's just like a real jolt jolt for them so you know, I think it's I think it's important to attune to a person and and meet them where they are, um, and then hopefully or maybe over time they will start to experience differently and to integrate the different parts of themselves and the different ways they can experience the world that not, that are not about learning, or there are different learning like learning from yourself, from your body, or your intuition. Um, yeah, so maybe a different learning, different ways of learning. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. I, I'm often curious about the word integration. and I'm wondering yeah. if maybe you could share some, what does it mean to integrate a psychedelic experience? Are there techniques that you use or what is the goal of integration in a psychedelic experience? Like what are you trying to do when you integrate it? Yeah. So integration, making meaning of your experience and moving it forwards, moving towards wholeness, taking your differentiated parts and bringing them together into a functioning whole. So I, I know that that kind of sounds quite profound and you might wonder, be wondering like on a practical level, what does that mean? So a psychedelic experience is often really spectacular, really profound, really mind-blowing um, peak experience. And people say, you know, it's, it's a big experience in your life. It's like giving birth. It's like losing a loved one. It's like getting married. These are really powerful, strong experiences. And then you come back and you, you go into a mundane world. And you're like, how do, how do you take this spectacular experience and integrate it into a really mundane and, and, and boring world? And, and that's where the integration comes in. And everyone's integration process is different. I think one important factor is telling your story over and over again. You know, people need these, these experiences are really spectacular sometimes they're terrifying sometimes they're really awe-inspiring people have like really magnificent insights and you need to be able to speak that you need to be able to get it out um to somebody who is open to hearing it and and to, to listen and is curious about your experience and it's not going to judge you or look at you like you're crazy so telling your story over and over again and then it's really important to 
not make any quick decisions. You know, you can come out of these experiences and think, right, that's it. I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to leave my marriage. I've, I've had this insight. And you need to get grounded and, and settled back in the world. Like you need to take time to land. So it's really important to honor the process after the psychedelic experience, you know, honor the medicine, honor the shaman, honor yourself, honor your process, honor your healing journey. And so, and this is what happens for a long time after the psychedelic experience. So first of all, get grounded, look after yourself, look after your mind and your body, be conscious of what you're putting in. So post-psychedelic experience, your brain is very neuroplastic, so it's very adaptable to change. So you wanna be very conscious about what you're reading and watching. If there's something really inspiring for you, it's a great time to be reading that. It's not a good time to be filling your, your, your brain with all the terror of the world and you know all the stuff on social media. You know, to, to be, be conscious of what you put in because you can create a lot of change at, at this time. So now's a really great time to be thinking about how you wanna change. And that can happen for a long time after the psychedelic experience. And you can, what people often don't realize is that your, your psychedelic experience can continue for weeks or even months afterwards to some extent. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily just end after the, the night of your, your journey. And so, you know, you need time and you need to support to work through what, what comes up. And then eventually over time, as you've landed, as you come back into the real world, to think about what changes am I going to make in my in my life? What meaning do I make from this? Um, how am I going to change my life in response to this spectacular experience or terrifying experience? Um, and I think when you really honour the integration process, and I also just want to add into that the importance of finding a daily practice of meditation or breath work or creating or art um i think that's really important as well and that's that's where your your work comes in it's it's personal work um and then what you know i think by, by honoring that integration process you get the most benefit and healing from these experiences um, so I think integration is just so important. And then also what integration means for me and on a larger context is taking all of your traumas, uh, life experiences, stories, and kind of reclaiming them, owning them, and turning them into your superpowers of what makes you beautifully unique. So really owning all those parts of yourself and, and your story and moving that forward as well. I like that. I like the idea of being beautifully unique. You know, I think that we all are if we're willing to, to be honest about it. And yeah. there's something to be said about taking your ideas and just kind of holding them for a little bit. I, I heard a good metaphor one time or analogy that was this gentleman was talking about the thoughts that we think every day. And the way he said it is, you know, all day long, you have these thoughts running through your mind. And the way I like to do it is I like to think of 
this being inside my head that's a version of me sitting on a throne. And there's this long line of people, but they're thought and they're all lined up and they're they're desperately jumping in line and waving their hands like, look at me. And so you let them in line and one by one, you bring them up and you sit them on your lap like you're Santa Claus and you just hold them and you say, what do you got? And they tell you, I'm hungry. Okay, I got you. Are you done? You got anything else? And you let that one go. And then the next one comes up and is like, I think you're handsome. And you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I like you. Get over here. You know, and there's, and, yeah. then, and then there's ones that are like, hey, you are lacking in your relationship. You mm-hmm. got to hold those thoughts for a little bit and just hold them mm-hmm. and then let them go. You know, but I, but I really like that idea of, of yeah. taking time to integrate your thoughts and integrate what's going on because it's real easy just to let that line of thoughts whether it's whether it's a psychedelic experience and then you 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 just fill your head with garbage or whether it's it's a trauma in your life or whether it's just you putting blinders on and not holding your thoughts or, or allowing yourself maybe you're afraid of your thoughts but a lot of times it seems like that line can get really long and it becomes so long we just stop doing it and then we find ourselves in life unhappy unrewarded and really mm-hmm. not fun to be around and it seems like integration is that process of of helping people become one with their thoughts. It's, it's fascinating. I, I love yeah. talking to you, Joe. It's fun. Yeah. I love talking to you too, George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. And I think, you know, as human beings, we can have like multiple thoughts at the yeah. same time. Um, and that's, that's part of, of being human. Um, multiple ideas, different, different ways of thinking, different thoughts. And an analogy I like, similar to your one, is it's it's like being in a boardroom and you're like the chief executive and you've got all of your employees sat around a table, you know, and they've all got a different role. You've got your accountant, you've got your ideas maker, you know, you've got you 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 one yeah. who's <laughs> makes the tea, yeah, um, and they all have different ideas to chip in from a different angle, and you're the you're the chief executive who takes these ideas and listens listens to them. And then goes off and makes your decision. You're the observing adult. Mm. <laughs> one might be one way of thinking it. And I so like we, it. we've all got like this this team in our head, different characters that have different strengths and different ideas. Um, yeah. Is, is there is there something that you know for me? Something that scares me is failing to become the person I should be. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that I've been able to see that one and two mm. make strides into making sure that I do become the person I want to be. And I think that, you know, talking to people, psychedelics and and, and holding that thought is something that has helped me do that. I'm curious if there's something you can share that you have been scared about that you have made progress on or that maybe something you saw in other people. Is there, what's, is there something that's scary to you that, that you've conquered? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've definitely worked through a lot of stuff um, since my work with, with psychedelics. It's been the most powerful work in my life and the integration and the breath work and the meditation. Um, but, but I think the thing that, that has scared me and that I've felt a particular void in, in my life 
which I don't any, anymore so much is is finding my sense of self in that previously I, I just didn't didn't know myself I was just floundering trying to work out what I was supposed to do and what society sh said I should be and I, I di didn't feel confident in in my decisions and who I was and my identity what my values were and what my personality was and people are so different and everyone's ideas are so different so it's like which rules do I follow I mean yeah. you find this in mental health so much is that people are constantly telling you something different oh you should do this no you should do that and you, and you you know you don't know what to do sometimes yeah and so so for me the most powerful fear that I've overcome is is actually finding myself and learning to tune into and have a sense of my own identity my own values and my own beliefs and my own voice and an opinion and and then finding confidence to express that and that's been the most powerful um thing in in my life is finding myself and that's you know that that part often gets lost and often some point after childhood i think we, we can lose ourselves. yeah i i think so and it's it's beautiful to rediscover it and it's beautiful to rediscover it and begin doing something passionate with your life and i think that that's that's a that's a big part if we take it back to the beginning of the conversation where you had spoke about the relationship between the person that's integrating something and mm -hmm. the person that wants to have stuff integrated like I can see why so many people want to talk to you, Joe. You, you're really comfortable, and because you've been through some things and you're honest with them, like I, I feel like you care about what I have to say. And I feel like you want to help people, and I love that. I I really enjoy moving through life and finding cool people that have standards of wanting to help other people. And what would you say, like what if you could accomplish? three things in life what would those three things be good question <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm kind of acting from instincts a little bit absolutely so one word that comes up for me is grief and i think You know, life's like a, a, a continuous, continual cycle of things that we're grieving. And I think grief is, is so powerful. So grief, I don't know why that came up, but that came up for me. Because I think it's just, just something continuous, like con yeah. continually finding time to grieve um, as part of the process of life. Being open to the flow of life. One of the most powerful books that I've read, which was a Bible for me during my, during my psychedelic work, was uh, Women Who Run With The Wolves, mm. um, which is about de depathologizing the feminine intuitive nature. And it was it is my Bible, the most powerful book that I've read in my life. And she speaks about the life-death-life cycle of everything in the universe. 
And this concept has been one of the most powerful concepts for me is that, you know, nothing lasts forever. It's not that what I'm doing, what I was doing then was wrong. It's just, I was doing that then and I'm doing this now. And that enables me to just rest with the flow. You know, ev everything in universe is, is life, death, life, the seasons, you know, as women, we have our life, death, life cycle every month with our, with our monthly cycles. And so you see it play out everywhere. So resting into the flow of life, death and life, that's, that's another mm -hmm. one. And that gives me tremendous peace, just riding, you know, that flow is that, that you kind of drop the battle. So I suppose those are sort of two personal values about how I live my life. And then there is, there is something for me about, about helping others who come my way. Um, but I also need to be careful that I don't drain myself with, with that as well. So that's where my self-care is really important. I take self-care really seriously um, so that I can fill up my own tank so that I'm able to help others. But I think I naturally am um you know someone who helps others and what i really um value about that is that i can use everything that i've been through in my life which has been really difficult i've experienced a lot of trauma and abuse but i feel like i've moved through it and i feel like i've healed and i can where I am now in my life is that I want to, to kind of use, use all that to, to try and help other people on their journeys. That's kind of the big why of, of what I'm doing, what I'm doing and why I'm sat here with you yeah. today. Is that, you know, I, I hope to help others and heal as, as I've managed to heal. I always, I'm always curious about the why. The why is always an interesting question for me. And I, I think there's yeah. so much fertile soil there that you could plant seeds in. And whenever you're finding yourself in a dilemma, I think if you just ask why, why mm -hmm. am I in this dilemma? Why did I get here? Why, why me? Why me? Why me? You know, <laughs> you know, you can go down some pretty interesting rabbit holes, but I, I think that there's a lot of, I, I love to ask people that like, why do you do it? And I just, I really like enjoying hearing the answers of, of that. And I'm, I'm thankful that mm -hmm. you've shared that with me. I'm, I know I, we're getting close on my time here and I'm so thankful that you spent time with me before we go though. Is there anything else that you want to talk about before we leave? Or is there something that maybe we left out in the conversation that you want to touch up on? There's nothing that springs immediately to mind. I think we've had a really great, complex, rich conversation that I've really enjoyed. And I've really enjoyed connecting with you as well as, as a human being. Yeah. Yeah, and connecting, and connecting on that level and our shared experience. And yeah, one hour and 40 minutes. 
We've done well, haven't we? <laughs> really well. We, I would go, if, if I didn't have to go to work, it could be a three-hour conversation easily. I, I, yeah, I, for sure. <laughs> I really enjoy, and it seems like the further you get into the conversation, like we go mm -hmm. through some stuff that we wanted to, but then all of a sudden these doors start opening. Like, hey, let's go look in, let's go look in this room over here. Or, hey, what's over here? You want to take hey, my hand? I'm going to show you this thing over here. And I really like that. So I think part two will be even a more richer conversation as we move into the future but before we land the plane here where can people find you do you have anything coming up and what are you excited about i mean at the moment i'm i'm just working on a one-to-one -one basis with the psychedelic integration and also integrative psychotherapy so i i do psychotherapy as well that's not related to, to um the psychedelics so people can find me via my website um and I'm just looking forward in to becoming more involved in in the community with regards to psychedelics and and kind of speaking out and kind of be becoming part of this new emerging world. I think it's really exciting. I really love the people in this world. Um, I really feel like they're my sort of people, and so I'm really enjoying connecting with people and just um, yeah, just just becoming part of this exciting world that's emerging um so yeah that that's that's where i am at the moment <laughs> what's the name of the website again where people can find you jodicetherapy.co.uk and i work online as well as on pe in person so i can work internationally as well so do reach out if you'd like to work with me and we can celebrate all of your beautiful uniqueness <laughs> yeah <Together>. absolutely absolutely <laughs> ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for spending time with us today um i had a great time i wish i could have gotten to some more of the comments here it's, it's difficult for me sometimes to go through the comments as i'm trying to talk on the conversation so for my friend Roos over there my apologies my friend and um that's what we got for today ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for hanging out with us today reach out to me Reach out to Mrs. Dice over here. All the links will be in the show notes. And I hope everyone has a beautiful day. And that's all we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, aloha. Thank you, George. It's been lovely to meet you and have a lovely day. Nice. Hang on for one second. I'm going to end the broadcast for the people, but I wanted to talk to you for one more moment. Okay. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. 
But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.